mother committed suicide. She did, and uh, seven years before that, her brother. Her brother, wow. You know, that was uh, 13 years, especially for, for our younger people. I mean, that seems like that's a long, long time ago, and even for us it is. But I remember, I told you in the early service, I still remember that day that, that we buried your mom. It was an overcast and cold and sad, not only on the inside, but outside. I mean, just like even the, the, the day itself was in mourning, wasn't it? It stayed cold for a while. It yeah. did. It, it was very tough. Brian, uh, you dealing, dealing with this personally. I've got some experience with it. I've got some professionally, but you've got some intimate experience with it. And uh, what are some signs that you you would say to these folks this morning? Because when I preach on this, I'm preaching to each of us, but also as we help people. What are some signs that they could be aware of to look for someone who might be suicidal? I said earlier in the previous service that people that are suffering from depression or addiction, alcoholism, uh, drug addiction, they... They're chameleons. They will disguise the way they feel. It's kind of like that alcoholic snipping a nip, you know, and trying to hide it. Right. Uh, it, it, it's very difficult mm-hmm. to, because they'll hide it from you. Right. But when it gets to a point, uh, when they start over an extended period of time, started, started acting differently. Right. Except for teenagers, they all act differently. <laughs> but it's, uh, you will know, right. you will know, and, and you need to pay attention. Uh, a lot of, a lot of times it's a depression and a kind of a hopelessness, isn't it, Brian? That, Absolute that hopelessness, right. a black hole, a black, a black hole. Brian, what advice would you say if a family member or a friend is struggling with suicide? What, what, how can we help them from your experience? You're going to feel alone and don't. People immediately came up to me, and you didn't even realize that they had had multiple suicides in their family. Right. Uh, but, but you're not alone, and you're, you're going to have regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, what if right. is going to sit on your shoulder for a long, long time? What if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? Uh, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Right. Uh, it's out of your control. Right. So, Brian, if, if, if it does happen in your family, would you tell them to seek help, to seek the other people? Uh, cling to the ones around you. and mm-hmm. Don't let it rip your family apart because it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't start finger-pointing, blaming others. Uh, that's human nature. Right. But do not do that because no matter how much blame you place on someone else to make yourself feel better, that person's never coming back. It right. does absolutely more harm than good. Right. Happens in your family, seek help, and obviously seek Jesus. And, and 100%. 100%. Brian, what, what do we say to someone if, we, if, we're, if we're talking to them? Uh, they're talking to somebody at school. They're talking to somebody at work who's, who's mentioning suicide. How, how can we help that person before it happens? And... That starts with all of you kids. Accept people for who they are. Stop picking on people, making one person the brunt of a joke. Um, All it takes sometimes is that head cheerleader, that starting quarterback, to walk by the weirdo band geek like me in high school and say, what's going on? How you doing today? And just that will 
will help them through another week, another day, another year of school. Right. It's amazing. I mean, you read about it all the time. Just being friendly to somebody can act, can save their life. It, just be kind. J- just be kind. Brian, what, what do you say to somebody this morning? And we got a lot of people here. we got people watching uh, via the Internet. Someone who's contemplating suicide, who, who's rolling that around, what would you say to them this morning? Number one, don't do it. Right. Uh, two, it, things are not that bad. And not everybody hates you. Don't let, thing, let things go. You're, you're going to have a bad day or two. But you'll get past it. It's, uh, it's something. But when people get into that black hole that they cannot get out of, and, and it's not that they're not trying. They can't even get out of bed some days. Right. Uh, just help them. Notice those. Be aware of those signs and try and help them. You'll, you'll notice when they're acting differently. And right. when something's wrong with your friends or your family, you know it. Right. Reach out to them. Pray with them. Pray for them. But accept them. Be right. kind and compassionate to them. Right. We talked about this earlier, that, that loving people, uh, whether it's loving the person who's thinking about doing it, whether it's loving the family member who's experienced it, uh, man, that's, a, that, that's just the gigantic part of everything. That's kind of what the book says anyway, isn't it? Yes. It, it really is. Brian, in, in closing, and I, I know I, I wish we had an hour just for this, but what, what would you say to the folks here today uh, in regards to this hard but very important subject? It's, it's not something that anyone wants to go through and, or ever expects to go through, but you, you're not going to get over it. You will, over a period of time, learn somehow to get past it. Mm-hmm. But if you can possibly prevent it by being aware of those signs, being kind to people, and it starts with the kids. Yeah. You guys have the power to end this or the beginning to an end right now and it starts now you can do it right and if they're thinking about it hold on because there is hope yes absolutely i asked for help when i asked for help the day of my mother's suicide i asked god for help and at exactly the right time i got it and that was the last day it was the worst day of my life turned out to be the best i never questioned my faith from that day forward that's great that's great would y'all give Brian a hand for the courage to share with us today? You don't trust me with two mics? Let me pray again. Lord, thank you for Brian's uh, courageous words to us, Lord. And I pray that, that they'll sink from our head to our heart. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Brian. We're going to talk about suicide this morning, and if you if you don't regularly come here, uh, the sermon will be a little bit different. Normally, we do we try to have fun. Even when we talk about hell, we try to have a little bit of fun. But this is just a hard subject. If you'll come back next week when I'm talking about sex, there's a, about a 95% chance at least I will say something dumb. Uh, it'll be worth coming just to experience that, but... but it will be a little different. We're going to uh, we're going to use a lot of scriptures instead of a, one fundamental place this morning. Also, why why is this such an important topic? In 2016, and this is about the latest stats that were available. Forty right at 45,000 people in America 
took their own life. That's five people an hour. Five people an hour. From the age 15 to 24, suicide is the second leading cause of death after accidents. Since the year 2000, from the year 2000 to the year 2015, suicide statistics in our country have gone up like this. I mean, dramatically gone up. They're not going down. Years ago, I remember reading a, a, a preacher say this about suicide. He said that it is one of the most important theological topics there is if we do believe in the sanctity of human lives. But the church has been absolutely quiet on the subject. We never address it or we never talk about it. So we're going to this morning. And let's begin with this. Let's try to answer some questions about suicide. What, what are some things that might be on your mind and that through the years that, that I have come across, and, and here's the first one, why? why? Why does somebody take their life? Why are some of you this morning possibly wrestling with this? Why, why would you in the future struggle with this? Well, the, the, the answer to that is legion. There are many. Years ago, an artist named Jack Ham drew a wheel of, uh, with 16 spokes, 16 factors he said were could be found in suicide. But let me list some of these that I think are, are very, very prevalent. Hopelessness, depression, drug use or drug abuse, using a legal drug, abusing that, or alcohol abuse, or being a minor and you're abusing alcohol, which is drinking alcohol would be abusing it. Psychological issues or physical problems can also play a role in it. Listen, hey, this is just not the preacher's sin. When we, when we do things we shouldn't, guilt and shame play a role. USA Today is not exactly a conservative Christian fundamentalist magazine newspaper. And several years ago, they, they were talking about the link between teenage sexual activity and suicide. Teens that were sexually active had a much higher rate of suicide than teens that did not. Did y'all hear me? That's significant because there's a reason God puts boundaries up for things. Dr. Martin Siegelman is a professor, or used to be at the University of Pennsylvania in the psychology department, written a number of books. Here's what he said. If you're taking notes, because I think this is absolutely right. He said the number one predictor of, of the why of suicide is hopelessness. People get depressed, they get down, and like Brian said, then they feel like they're in a, a spot that they can never get out of. Hey, there's 10-year-olds that feel that this morning. It's not true at all, but they feel that. There's 14-year-olds. There's 15-year-olds. There's 50-year-olds that feel that, and certainly senior adults that feel that. Hopelessness is the greatest predictor. Here's the second question. What are the signs? What do you look for? What should you even notice in yourself that might be indicating something is wrong? You coaches, you teachers, you parents, what's something you should look for and be aware of uh, in, in your friends or uh, in your children? Again, there are a lot of signs, but, but here's some. Depression. Depression is obviously a sign. Sleeping issues. Sometimes when a person is depressed or they begin to move towards being suicidal, they want to sleep all the time or they never can sleep at all. Again, Drinking or abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, withdrawing. Somebody who used to like to be with people is always by themselves now. Moodier than normal. Just rage, can seem to get angry and mad over anything and everything. Risky behavior. Sometimes people who may be a little bit of a daredevil now are just doing things that are just flat out dumb and dangerous. 
Here's a myth. There used to be, I used to hear this a lot. Well, if someone's talking about it or mentioning it, they'll never do it. That's not true at all. If someone's talking about it or mentioning it, you better be aware. Now, I, I don't think there's many of you, but if some of you are tuning this out, not, you can tune me out. I, I'm not worth hearing. But the subject matter is worth hearing because everybody in this room could potentially face this in your life or with someone you love. So it's very important. Here's the third question I want to answer, and I want you to really listen to me on this. When a person commits suicide, do they automatically go to hell? Now, if you don't hear anything else I say, you need to hear this. And before I explain that, let me say the answer to that. The answer to that is absolutely not true. That's absolutely not true. I'm going to tell you what I heard growing up. If a person commits suicide, they automatically go to hell. That's, that's what I heard. There are churches that teach that. There are religious Christian groups that teach that. I don't necessarily like to argue. I do not really want to argue on Sunday. This is the one day a week I have to work, so I'm tired today. Call me tomorrow if you disagree with me, and we will argue. But here's where we're going to argue from the book. Not from your favorite preacher, or my, my, my favorite preacher, or, or from a religious discussion. Some churches say if a person commits suicide, they automatically go to hell. It's just not in the Bible. That's not what the Bible says at all. I was listening years ago to a Christian uh, radio speaker, and someone called in and asked him, if a Christian commits suicide, do they go to hell? Here was his bizarre answer. He said, if they are in their right mind when they commit suicide, they will go to hell. If they're not in their right mind, they will still go to heaven. And I'm screaming at the radio, no one ever commits suicide when they're thinking correct. Amen? And what a bizarre, dumb question. Hey, you're going to heaven based on one thing. Not that your mom and dad got money. Not that your mom and dad are poor. Not that if you're murdered or you commit suicide, you're going to heaven based on having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Listen to what these beautiful verses says. I'm convinced nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. You're going to heaven or hell not based on how you die, but based on your relationship with Jesus Christ when you die. Very, very important. So let's look next at this. What are some reasons suicide should never be an option? When we counsel people, premarital counseling, one thing that we tell them is take divorce off the table. You can't get married and be happy if you're arguing. Every time you get in an argument, you go, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to, right? Am I right? I'm going to divorce you. Because normally you hear that the 10th time. You know what you're thinking? I wish you would. Divorce needs to be off the table. Suicide needs to be off the table. Young people, not so young people, that's not an option. No matter how bad a spot you're in, suicide never needs to be an option. Here's some reasons. Number one, it's sinfully wrong. Is it going to send you to hell if you're a Christian? No. Is it sinfully wrong? Absolutely. Exodus chapter 20 verse 13 says, You must not murder. You know, we learned this as a kid, thou shalt not kill. That's not what it's... The Bible says, it doesn't say thou shalt not kill, it says thou shalt not murder. Unfortunately, there could be a justifiable time when you had to kill someone. You're a soldier in war, you come home and the, the, the 
mass murderer has got your wife and he's fixing to chop her in pieces or whatever, you would do whatever you had to do to defend those people. There could be a time when you have to do that. But murder is a premeditated killing of someone that, that doesn't have a reason. There's no reason behind it or no justified legal or God reason. And suicide is self-murder. Suicide is deciding that you're going to take your own life. I remember hearing another theologian say this, that there's nothing more precious than life. There's nothing more precious than you or me. And no one but God has the right to determine who lives or dies. You don't have the right to determine when you die. That's God's right. That's God's privilege. So, so one reason we don't do it, it's sinfully wrong. Here's the second reason. It's a permanent solution to temporary problems. Boy, is this important. It's a permanent solution to temporary problems. When Clayton and I were in graduate school, we had a grouchy professor for psychology. He was a brilliant man. He had two doctor's degrees in psychology, and he was a Christian minister, and he was a grouch. I was scared to death of him. I know Clayton was too. I, said, I wouldn't breathe in his class loud because I didn't want him coming unglued on me. But here's one thing he taught us about suicide. He said, oftentimes, and I'm not picking on young people because it can be older people too, but here's what we think. I'm depressed, I'm hurt, I'm mad. I'll teach them, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'm going to kill myself on Thursday. And everybody's going to be sad. And on Saturday, there's going to be a big funeral. And by the way, I get to go to my, who you thought you'll get to go to your funeral? You, I don't think you do. But you'll be there and everybody will be sad. And then Monday comes around, then you get to go back to school and everything's back to normal. That's not how it works. When, when you and I die, the game is over. It's done. That's why you need to let God make that decision. We don't kill ourselves and then get to come back next week and start over. It's over. Hebrews 9.27 says man is destined to die once and after that face the judgment. Guys, remember this. No matter what your problem is, it is fixable. It really is. And suicide is a permanent solution to no matter how serious or bad it is, to temporary problems. Here's the third thing that I think can be very important. It doesn't bring about the desired results. Now, not everybody that takes their life is thinking a certain way. A lot of times they're just hopeless, and, and, and they feel like, like Brian said, they just would be helping other people if they did. Maybe that's the desired result. But here's what happens sometimes. A girlfriend breaks up with a guy, or a guy breaks up with a girl, or a husband leaves the, the wife, or the wife leaves the husband, whatever. And so you're just devastated, and and that's normal. But you think, you know what? I'm going to teach them, and I'll just kill myself, and they will forever they will forever be heartbroken. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Here's the truth. Man, don't ever take your life. But if you take your life because some guy, guy broke up with you or girl broke up with you, that, I don't have any doubt they'll be sad. But you know what? Ten years from now, they're going to be married to somebody else. And you're going to be dead. It, it doesn't bring about the desired results. And, and what goes with this, number four, it really messes up other people. You see, not all the time, but sometimes when people take their lives, they, they, they think, I'm going to get that boy, I'm going to get that girl. And, and you may temporarily hurt them, but they're going to move on with their life. What happens is, and if you listen to Brian's story, it, it ends up messing up people you didn't want to hurt bad. It ends up, causing them grief and pain and struggle sometimes for years ahead. 
In the neighborhood where I grew up, the Parker family lived at the end of the street. They were the one family in our neighborhood where there were really no rules. I'm not making this up. When you were 12 years old, you could smoke a cigarette and play pool in their house. Now, by the way, everybody smoked back then. Even the old men around the church smoked. I mean, so it was very common. But there was just no rules at all. And I thought, man, I prayed I could move in with them. But you know, as I got older, here's what happened. Man, their their family fell apart. One of the boys who was four years older than me killed himself. Eleven years later, his little brother killed himself. I have no doubt in my mind that that brother who killed himself, the older one, he didn't want to hurt that little brother. But I also have no doubt in my mind that that little brother never got past the hurt of what his older brother did. You see, you're going to hurt people but you're not going to hurt somebody maybe you think you're hurting. You're going to devastate people that you don't want to hurt. Let me give you a fifth and really, really, really positive thing. Here's a reason not to do it. You are a wonderfully important creation of God. Man, this is so good. We're in Psalms 139 here, in verse 13 and 14. We use these passages rightly to talk about the sanctity of life and why we're pro-life versus versus pro-choice when it comes to abortion. And that's a perfect usage of this passage. But it's much broader. It's good for you and me today. Look in verse 13 and 14. You made, this is God talking to you, I made all of your delicate inner parts and, and knit you together in your mother's womb. Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. That word wonderful, which is describing you, means distinguished, set apart. Some of you have never been called distinguished. And God says, you are distinguished. You were set apart. You were wonderfully made by me. You were marvelous, which means extraordinary, astonishing, and remarkable. One scholar said this is the picture of an artist taking a blank, ugly piece of canvas and an expert artist taking a bunch of different colors and painting something beautiful. See, that's what God did when he made you. God God made you in your mother's womb and you are a beautiful, complex creation of God. Isn't that wonderful? There's nobody in this world like you are more important than you are. Verse 15 and 16, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book, every moment laid out before a single day passed. Hey, here's something to hold on. In your darkest moment, you are a wonderfully important creation of God. But if that's not good enough, here's the second thing with this. God has great plans for your life. You see, hopelessness, there's nothing to live for. I'm a loser. There's nothing left. Nothing could be farther from the truth when it comes to you. How many of you know who Rhonda Rousey is? I dated her before I started dating Cindy. Taught her a lot. Used to... Can you imagine dating Rhonda Rousey? You get in an argument about whether you're going to Chili's and you get your shoulder dislocated. She's a tough chick. <laughs> Ronda Rousey was, uh, is um, worldwide famous. She's super rich, men movies, was the best female fighter in the world for a long time, and then she got beat. She said after her first defeat, she said, I was suicidal. Why live? My life's over. Thank goodness she didn't take her life. I want to tell you, that is so ridiculous to think that way. 
And looking again in verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded. Now, this isn't some kind of God's robot programmed you and you don't have a direct say in your life. Every moment was late. It's just saying, listen, God's got a plan for you. Verse 17 and 18, how precious are your thoughts about me? They cannot be outnumbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. It's when I wake up, God, you're still with me. Here's what he's literally saying there. God's saying, I think about you all the time. Is that not incredible? You, you really need to let some of this sink from your head to your heart. God is thinking about you 24-7. I love a lot of you in here. I love a lot of you a lot. There's times I don't want to think about you. And I guarantee you there's times that especially my ministers don't want to think about me. But God's thinking about us all the time. And you go, I don't know, man, what's left in my life? What's going to happen? God's got a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse when the Jewish people were in trouble. It was going to be a long time before this was fulfilled. They were depressed and discouraged. But God was planting the seed of hope in their heart. I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Here's what God says to you this morning if you're down or you're depressed. Here's what he says when you are, when you're talking to somebody. I've got plans for your life. You can't imagine what I want to do with you if you'll just let me. I've got plans for you. Why why suicide a bad option? thousand reasons. But number these last two, you're a wonderful creation of God, and God has got plans for you. For your life. Now, I want us to next look at, at some other proactive solutions. Some other proactive solutions. We talked about that these, these six things I think are good. What are some things to kind of put the, the icing on top of the cake? Number one, get help. You're suicidal, get help. You know someone who is, get help. Talk to your friends, talk to your parents. You parents, and you're older, talk to your kids. Where's Brandon? Brandon, we have a professional counselor on our staff. As a church, we decided we think your mental health is so important. We have a licensed professional counselor on our staff. And you say, well, I don't have the money to see a counselor. We can take care of that. Call the church. We can get you, we can get you an appointment with Brandon just like that. Talk to one of our ministers. Remember, we looked at James chapter 1, verse 17, a few times in our past sermon series on being sane. Whatever is good and perfect comes down from God our Father, who created us. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Whatever is good and perfect comes down from above. Listen, God's, God's created medicine and doctors. Go see your doctor. He's created counselors, these ministers to help. You get help. You get somebody help. If you're concerned, do whatever you have to do to get them help. Somebody tells you, I'm suicidal and this is in confidence, you've got to convince them it cannot remain in confidence. You've got to get them help. Get them help. Here's the second thing that goes right with this. You've got to think on, get your thinking straight. Really work on getting your thinking right. You see, when a person is suicidal, no matter what is going on, they aren't thinking properly. If you keep these three things in mind, with your thought life, if you'll be biblical, use the Bible as your parameters. Use it as your foundation. Be biblical. 
be positive. No one is ever suicidal who's got a great attitude at that particular time. They're not being positive. And be rational. People who are suicidal, it's not rational when you think there is no hope. In Philippians 4, 8, listen to what God says here. He says, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure. Whatever is lovely and admirable, think about these things. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You're struggling today, whether you should end your life, get your thoughts in the Bible, be positive and be rational. And lastly, turn to Jesus. And I don't say lastly like that. There's nothing else to do. Turn to Jesus. But, but really, as your foundation, turn to Jesus. Guys, he, he, here is the great truths. Man, Christ is what you're looking for. You say, well, man, I want to party. I want to run wild. I want to do whatever I want to do. Okay, that's fine. It comes with a high price. I was born in the, the mid-60s, so I don't remember a lot of this, but in the 1960s, things changed in America. Drug use became popular. Getting high, partying, free sex with anybody became popular. And, and here's a correlation. From 1960 to 1990, the suicide rate in America tripled. When you live away from God, you are not living in the best spot you can in a thousand ways. You say, God can't ever forgive me. God can't forgive you unless you come to Him and ask Him. But then He absolutely can. God wants to forgive you. God wants to give you a second chance and a 50th chance. God didn't come to steal joy away. I used to think if I follow God, this is not going to be fun because some of those Christians look unhappy. That's true. We're a miserable lot. We shouldn't be. John 10.10, here's what Jesus said. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief there is the devil. The devil wants to kill you. I I believe this with all my heart. The devil's number one goal is to keep you from becoming a Christian. He wants you to die and go to hell. But if he loses you there, his second goal is for you to take your life. It gives him no greater joy than to see a Christian give up and take their life. The devil devil offers you fun and party and, and, and ease. And then he steals it all away from you. Jesus says, look, I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life. Some translations I like a little better say, Jesus said, look, I came to give you life and life abundantly. I, I, I didn't just come to give you a home in heaven. I came to give you a best life now. Greatest predictor of suicide is hopelessness. The greatest place to find hope is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. I want to share with you briefly a hard but I think personal and important story that that maybe can help you this morning. When I was 19, I got to a a, a bad spot in my life. And here's how it happened. I wasn't a Christian. I mean, I thought I was. I'd gone to college on, on a football scholarship. And I was pretty certain I had four years and then the NFL. That was how it was all going to play out. Well, I played one year. And I got kicked out of that college for doing some things I shouldn't have been doing, so I wasn't playing football. But I was going to play, because I was so good, I knew that there would be thousands of schools still recruiting me. And that didn't happen. And so by midway through my sophomore year in college, I realized the thing that I had dreamed and hoped for my whole life was gone. I'd had to move back in with my parents, which was not a good thing at 19. 
And I began to spiral down. I didn't, I didn't know. Men don't know if they're depressed, but I think I certainly was. And I can remember one afternoon, I was sitting at my house by myself, and I, it just thought came over me. I, I'm just a loser. I mean, two years ago, I'd been senior in high school. I'd been a hero, high school hero, and now I am a college zero. Hero to zero in two years. I can tell you how to do it. I started partying. I'd, I'd become a Christian, and then I got away from God. I started partying again. I remember laying in bed saying, God, just leave me alone because you just, God won't leave you alone. And finally, one night, December 1982, I was laying in my bed, and this had been building up for probably two months. And I, I honestly think the devil must have stepped into my room that night. And here's what he said, you're a loser. You, you, everything you dreamed about, you failed. Why don't you just go ahead and take your life? Everybody else would be happy. You'd be, wouldn't be a burden on them again. And I came about that close to doing it. But Jesus was in that room too. And Jesus kept whispering in my ear, don't do this. This two in the morning, I went and woke my daddy up. He went to bed at eight. I mean, so you know, he was probably rested by then. But man, my precious dad sat for three hours and talked to me. Two nights later, kind of had the same experience. Got him up. We talked again. But you know what happened? About six months later, I was I was okay. Two years later, I was okay. Nineteen ninety nine. I shared this story that I just shared with you in my church, where Cindy and I and Alicia were at the time. And after church, a lady came up and she was crying. When a lady comes up to me after church crying, it's three things and two are bad. <laughs> I've made them mad. I've heard them. Are there tears of joy? And, and, and what I'm fixing to tell you, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just trying to tell you the value of you. She said to me, she said, I'm so glad you didn't take your life that night. She said, you led me to the Lord, my daughter, her husband, my sons. She said, I don't know where I would have been without you. I wouldn't have got married. I wouldn't have my daughter. wouldn't have my granddaughter. So I'm telling you, man, the tunnel can be dark, but there's hope at the end of the tunnel. And when that voice is whispering in your ear, you're a loser and there's no future, that's the devil and that's a lie. You hang in there at all costs because I promise you, there's people God wants to use you to touch that you don't even know exist that someday will be thanking you that you were around to help them. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I want to just encourage you to, whether it's coming back to Christ or reaching out to Him for help this morning, I pray you will. If you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you are, and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, pray with me. And just say, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sin. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you, you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And I surrender my life to you. 
let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a minute. And we do this to give you a chance to respond. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your life. Or maybe you're ready to do that. We'll, we'll talk to you after church. If you're not comfortable walking down an aisle, but you can come when we stand right now and give your life to Christ. You need to do that before you leave this building. Maybe today's the day you're ready to join our church. You can come when we stand and do that, or we can, we can talk and do that after church too. You need a church home where you'll be loved and cared for. Christian, maybe you want to come and pray at the altar or pray with a minister for your situation or for someone you love. Maybe where you're standing, you just need to say, God, I'm coming back to you. I'm going to live for you. And God, no matter how hard it gets, I'm going to hold on to you.